1: to the porch here on Firefall Talk Radio. I'm Richard Grund. This is where we get back to basics, examining the Word of God, focusing on the book of Acts, church, examining how they served the Lord so that we can copy it and replicate their success. We dig deeper into Scripture, finding the church the Lord intended, not the one that man created, and in the process restoring the priesthood of the believer and regaining the world shake influence, the book of Acts church had. Church age is still in effect. We're not done. The Lord hasn't come back, hasn't taken us out of here. The day of Pentecost is ongoing. The fire still falls. The Porch is an outreach of Solomon's Porch, Inc. On solomonsporch.org is the website. You can contact us from there, or you can go to Firefall Talk Radio and use the contact button. There's also ways to support us there. Thank you for each and every one of you that do. We greatly appreciate it. Make sure you bookmark the Spreaker site for Firefall Talk Radio, Spreaker.com, forward slash user, forward slash Firefall Talk Radio. Download the app onto your smart device and uh, stay up to date with us. Welcome to our Blog Talk Radio listeners, iTunes, iHeartRadio. I think pretty soon it won't be iTunes anymore when the new um, Apple iOS comes out. It'll be just Apple Podcasts. Make sure I'll get it right next time, and um, we appreciate each and every one of you. Let me give you an update on the C-Conference video. A new laptop has been purchased. We are in the process of bringing all of the ancillary items up to date. Um, Apple, in their infinite greediness, when you buy a new device, they happen to change all of the cables. So none of the cables I had for microphones and monitors and this and that matched So I think I am finally caught up on all of that and learning the new aspects of the computer. We're also in the process of reconfiguring the Firefall Studio for this and some other new and exciting things we're working on. Intent, it might involve some live streaming or video. Stay tuned for updates, and thank you for your patience in that regard and for the support in helping to get this laptop. Praise reports and prayer requests. This is where we start. This is how we ride. Well, of course, we praise the Lord first in everything that we do. Praise Him for our salvation and the fact that He loved us before we loved Him, even when we were unlovable. I praise Him for my home, for my wife, for my family, our furry kids, all of our possessions, my son, daughter in laws and, of course, our wonderful, awesomeness little guy, our grandson, who, by the way, has a little bit of a cold, so please keep him in your prayers. I praise Him for the Lord's protection, that Psalm 91 covering that's always there, always available for the ministry. He lets me work for the dreams and the visions, um, which are really strong, and I believe they're about to be fulfilled. I praise Him for His healing virtues, which are still there for us, for the ability to praise Him. Let's praise Him for everything. I mean, every when you get up, when you go to bed in the middle of the day, just love on Him. Tell Him how much you love Him. You're a new creation. You're living in prophetic times. So I praise him for that. Praise him for America. I praise him for the fact he's getting ready to come back. I sincerely believe that. So let's get ready. Let's continue to walk in everything, the power, the peace, the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, but in the joy and the blessed hope that we have in him. Well, let's pray for the Middle East, Israel, peace of Jerusalem. They're going through their elections. Things are very interesting right now over there. Some stuff going on in Saudi Arabia. Pay attention to that. I mean, don't get so caught up in it that it freaks you out every time something happens. Pay attention to the signs. Be watchful. Be discerning. Pray for the fatherless, the widows, the innocents, the victims of injustice. And boy, there are a lot of those, both in the world and in the womb and both human and animal. I mean, there's just so much ugliness right now, and the enemy is having its way. And part of that prayer is I pray for the church to wake up and do something about it. For our brothers and sisters around the world that are being slaughtered and persecuted for their faith, I follow a couple of different persecution websites, and I, I weep. I weep for what our brothers and sisters have to endure to worship the Lord. And the persecution, the anti-Semitism. The signs are telling me that Yeshua is getting ready to come back, but until then, we have a job to do. I pray for the victims of sex trafficking, human trafficking, women, uh, children. It's just ugly and it's being exposed to show how deep a cancerous sore that, that it is in the world, especially in America. I pray for divine wholeness, health, and healing. That we all get back to our divine design. I know many of you are struggling. I have some things I deal with. Some of it is ancestral. It's in my lineage. Some of it I've done to myself. And just some of it's living in a fallen world and what we're exposed to. And I'm doing everything I know to do in the natural to change that. And I'm also praying for him to help me with that. So let's get healed. If you're sick, in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus, the Messiah, be healed. If you're broken, if, if, if something's going on, be whole. If you're bound, be delivered in Jesus' name. I'm praying that the remnant would, would wake up. Wake up. I need an alarm clock, sound effect. You wake up. Rise up. Answer the call to action. If you've been blessed, be a blessing. We, we, need, we still need some help here. This ministry needs help. We know people that need help. I'd love to have a, a, an account to be able to help people in need. Be a blessing. Don't hoard. The more you give, the more the Lord gives to you to give. And, and that's not the whole name it and claim it, put a seed in here, a little. No, that's not what I'm talking about. If the Lord knows He can trust you with His money to be a conduit of His blessings, He will use you. If you're going to hoard it, I don't believe He does. And I believe that money's coming from the world or even from the enemy itself. Uh, Continue to pray for my wife, Deb, healing, renewal, relief, restoration, and favor um, in in an ongoing legal matter that that really shouldn't be ongoing, but the Lord's in control. Nick in Dallas, uh, he he wrote me and said last Sunday morning, which I guess was a week ago, Sunday. um, His mother went into the hospital. She was there most of the week. It doesn't say what she was there for, but she's in a rehab center now trying to get strength back and use of her legs. He's asking for prayer for success in the rehab and the Lord's clarity and peace over her and in her heart and spirit. Stacy in Texas starts out with the scripture, Philemon 4-7. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and the faith you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Messiah. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because of the hearts of the saints, have been refreshed through you. Her, her message is, I am discovering what Larry, and that's Larry, fellow a member of SRT who was there helping me at the C conference. She said, I am discovering what Larry meant when he told me at the conference that I have the power to love the unlovable. Please pray for me on this. The school nurse positions I applied for earlier that were filled have opened back up. Please pray for me on that as well. Pray for my husband and for deliverance and healing in my family. I think of all of you and I pray for you. You are a great source of strength and refreshment for me. May you be blessed and protected in Jesus' name. Kim in Fort Mitchell. She says, hey there, I hope all is well. I'm slowly finding my way back to where God wants me to be. Last week was rough. The baby was sick. He had the hand, foot, and mouth disease. It was hard to see him suffer like that. I had to call out of work after only working there for a few weeks. Fear kicked in, and then the enemy attacked, and I started doubting everything. I don't ever want to be in that much emotional turmoil again. It took me a week to recover from this. I know who I am today. I can't control the outcome of any of this, but I can control myself and be proactive to these attacks in the future. I am a new creation. The old me is gone. I serve the one who created all existence. He chose me. He saved my soul. And he keeps me sober, and I will be forever grateful for that. Father, please forgive my shortcomings and help me to forgive others. I'm praying for my children, my friends Stacy, the Porch families, and everyone who needed to hear this. Bless us, Father, favor us, keep our animals safe, heal our bodies and spirits, break generational curses, Father, help sustain us, reveal the traps of the enemy and help us resist them. says, my husband is coming home next week for a few weeks. Father, create something new, something better that will be done in Jesus' name. Well, Lord, you know all things you knew even before we ask. So we thank you. We thank you for answering the prayers. We speak to things not as they are, but as they should be. So we thank you for the healing. We thank you for the favor. We thank you for all the things that have been given up to you in prayer. We believe and we receive. We thank you, Lord. You are a great and awesome God. You loved us when we were unlovable. You loved us before we even loved you. Father, we thank you for sending Yeshua, for making a way out for us that we never could have done for ourselves. Lord, we thank you for what you endured on the cross, the brutality of it, the, the, the debasing of it, what they did to you, Lord, and you did that all for us. You didn't have to endure that. We are literally eternally grateful, and we love you so much. We love you with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, our spirit. We love you with everything that is in us, and we want to glorify you. We want to show the world Yeshua. We want to show them who you are through us. Holy Spirit, we thank you for walking with us and teaching us and bringing the Lord to remembrance and his words. We thank you for for cheering us on and, and being our comforter, our counselor. We need more of that in the days ahead. It's going to be dark. It's going to be confusing. It's going to be a lot of things going on. So Holy Spirit, walk with us. Walk with each and every one of us. Fill those who aren't filled right now, Lord. If they're not filled with the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, I pray that they would be spontaneously, instantaneously filled. Lord, touch this time. Let this Word come alive. Let those who have ears to hear, hear, and we just give you all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise. In Yeshua's name, amen. lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. I meant to tell you that before we came on the air, um, we had no internet, and weren't going to, and I was going to have to do this on my phone, and apparently the internet came back, but if for some reason it goes out again... This is being recorded, and it will get posted immediately afterwards. So just wanted to give you that heads up if I suddenly disappear on you. It was either that or I got raptured, and you didn't. Just kidding. Didn't mean that. That was just my flippant nature. Um, (laughs) We're going to be talking Mark chapter 5. It's something the Lord's put on my heart about compassion, but we're going to start in Mark chapter 4. Verses 35 through 41. So open your Bibles, your apps, however you follow along. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. When evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with them. So we have the boat with him and the disciples and the boats that are following them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, Rabona, do you not care that we are perishing? And then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it? that you have no faith and they feared exceedingly and said to one another who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him so i wanted to set that up because we're a, they were about to see who this can be and what the lord was capable of so now we're going to pick it up in mark chapter 5 this is after the storm they reached the shore Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs. No one could bind him, not even with chains. He had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out, "'and cutting himself with stones. "'When he saw Yeshua from afar, he ran and worshipped him "'and cried out with a loud voice and said, "'What have I to do with you, Yeshua, son of the Most High God? "'I implore you by God that you do not torment me. "'For he said to him, Come out of the man unclean spirit. "'And then he said, What is your name?' And he answered and said, My name is Legion, for we are many. Also he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Yeshua gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out, entered the swine. There were about two thousand And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled. And they told it in the city and in the country. And when they went out to see what had happened, then they came to see Yeshua and the one who had been demon-possessed and had legion sitting clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who saw it, told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. When he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Yeshua did not permit him, but said, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed the 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 demon formerly demon-possessed man, departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Yeshua had done for him, and all marveled. Isn't that amazing? The man was begging him, I want to come with you. I want to be with you. But the Lord said, Go home to your family, your relatives, and your friends, and bring back word to them, Of how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion, how he has had sympathy, how he has had mercy on you. And what does that man do? He just turns around and publicly proclaims in Decapolis, a region of ten cities, how much Yeshua had done for him. And they knew who he was. They'd heard the stories. They'd seen him. And they were astonished and marveled. So we have a pattern from Mark four thirty-five through 41 to Mark 5, 1 through 20. Then this is the pattern. And this is what I'm trying to get you to understand tonight. Tonight's going to be a little more teaching. Last week was was a lot more of a message. This will be too, but we're going to get really in detail in this section of Scripture. Faith inspires action. Compassion inspires. Compassion Empowered action inspires evangelism. Let me say that again without stuttering. <laughs> Faith inspires action. Compassion-empowered action inspires evangelism. An act of divine love creates love-inspired action. First John 3, 16-19, By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods, and sees his brother in need, and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. So what John's saying, and John talks a lot about love, and it's interesting that he was the same guy, one of the sons of thunder, that wanted to call down fire on those people that were preaching the Lord, Yeshua, and but they weren't a part of them, they weren't doing it exactly their way. But now he's different. Now he knows what love means. And what he's saying is, if you have this world's goods, the resources for sustaining life and you see a brother or fellow believer in need, and you close your heart of compassion against them, how can the love of God remain live and remain in you? We shouldn't just love in theory or in speech, but in action and in truth and in practice and sincerity, and I believe those resources are spiritual as well, financial, physical, clothes, food, all those things, yes, but if you have the ability through fervent prayer through the power of the holy spirit if you have the ability to intercede and set somebody free and you close your heart up how's the love of god in you first john 4:19 we love him because he first loved us loved us so let's take a look at this mark 5 and we may be here there's three examples in mark chapter 5 that i want to touch on this is the first one so we're talking about the gatherings. Gadara was a city south of the Sea of Galilee and east of Jordan in Decapolis, a region east of Galilee in Samaria. And so the country of Gadara simply refers to the parts outside the city reaching to the sea. Now there are multiple times this story is told. Mark and Luke mention one gathering demoniac. Matthew mentions two. There's no contradiction. Luke and Mark, for whatever reason, chose to only focus on the prominent one. And Matthew adds the details of his companion. Though the precise location differs, Gergesenes, Gadarenes, gergesenes it's, it's the east bank of the Sea of Galilee. It's a general area. What is certain is that the presence of Yeshua caused the reactions caused a serious reaction in the demons inside the man. And we see it. When he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit who had been dwelling in the tombs. Remember, he's living in grave sites. No one could bind him. Chains, shackles, nothing. He'd tear him apart. Nobody could control him. And day and night, crying out in the tombs and cutting himself with stones. Now we know, according to the ending of it, that he was clothed in his right mind, so apparently he was either naked or partially clothed. The presence of the Lord should always have a reaction. Either they're running to or they're running away, but there should never be no response at all. Now when somebody's demon-possessed truly, fully demon-possessed, they will have the kind of strength that they're talking about. I've seen it, I've experienced it, but the strength they have, the strength this man had, is no match for the strength of the Lord, and no match for somebody who's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Interesting tidbit about this area. The rocks and the cliffs around Gadara were filled with tombs cut out of limestone. 20 foot square so we're talking about 20 by 20 what's that 400 square feet this was a place where criminals and and the poor and the insane and the demonically p- possessed would dwell the the legends were that it, the dreams in those places were were s- prophetic they were supernatural They would give you revelations a future event and and if you've listened to me talk, you've listened to s r t you've read the book or whatever you know limestone is an amplifier of the supernatural of the spiritual. This man must have been a scary sight. let's get real he's he's torn up, he's probably scarred up. He's disheveled. His hair is matted. I mean, th- this man was probably frightening to look at beside the howling and the screaming. And, and when I read this today, what I heard in my head was I read a story about David Berkowitz after he got arrested and convicted for being the son of Sam. And they put him in Attica prison in upstate New York. And one of the guards of the, that was in the prison at that time said he would howl at night. Now, some people say he was making it up because he was acting and, you know, trying to make people think he was crazy, but this man said, you've never heard a howl like this. It would make your skin crawl. And David Berkowitz has since become saved, and he's talked about the fact that he was possessed and that, in the midst of his crying out to God, in the midst of somebody had given him a Bible, he cried out to the Lord. The Lord came into his prison cell and set him free. He's never sought parole. He doesn't want parole. know, It doesn't matter. They're going to turn him down anyway. He's created a prison ministry. But it reminded me of that man's description of the howl that he heard. So when this gathering man sees Yeshua coming, he runs towards him and worships him. What that means is he bowed down low before him. He bowed before him in homage. Now, is that the man bowing? I think it is because the very next thing is all of a sudden the strong man speaks out. What have I to do with you, Yeshua, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. The New Living Translation is shrieked. He shrieked out screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Yeshua, Son of the Most High? I beg you, don't torture me. Don't torment me. So two things are happening here. The man, I believe the man is still deep inside if you've ever dealt with somebody demonically possessed or been one yourself. You know that you are still there. You're also not in control. Anybody who ever told me, I don't remember what I did, I look him square in the eye and said, sorry, been there, done that. You do know what you did. You are watching yourself do it. It's like you are detached from yourself, above yourself, looking. I believe it's the man that is running towards him. And then the demons begin to scream out and torment when they realize who it is that's in front of them. They already know that they're defeated. They immediately begin to negotiate with him. But this torment, this reaction is indicative of something. Look at First John four seventeen and 18. We quote a scripture out of context all the time, but love has been perfected among us in this that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, because perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. And that's talking about the final judgment. You have no fear of the final judgment because you've been perfected in his love. Demons and fallen angels, they will never feel or receive that love and they have a very real expectation of judgment and torment they do it's in the word revelation 14:10 through 11 yeah. and he himself meaning the antichrist uh, shall drink the wine of the wrath of God which is poured out in full strength into the cup of his indignation he shall be tormented with Fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their what, torment ascends forever and ever. They have no rest day or night. He who worships the beast in his image, whoever receives the mark of his name. Think about that for a second. This is not my notes. It just kind of came to me. I'm talking about everybody who's not born again. I'm talking about everybody that doesn't get snatched out of here and that has to endure the great tribulation and who will sell their soul and the mark of the beast and whatever comes with it. They are going to endure torment that is beyond our imagination that even the demons are afraid of it. So based on the consciousness of guilt, fear anticipates a deserved punishment, producing a dread that itself is a foretaste of that punishment. But you and I have been set free of that. Inasmuch then as children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. And release those who, through fear of death, were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Hebrews 2:14 and 15. I think the torment that those demons felt, the feeling that they felt standing in his presence, I'm going to go a little deeper into why that is. I believe they feel it when they get in front of somebody who walks in that kind of power. They cover it up with bravado. They cover it up with profanity. They cover it up with with all these other things of what they're going to do to you. But when they're in the presence of somebody filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, in full representation of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, I believe that that fear is there. The gathering man has been living a life of bondage, torment, and pain apparently for a very long time. And one of the things I want to get you to understand, if you're going to get involved in ministry, or you already maybe you already are, the Lord doesn't question why it happened. He doesn't question how it happened. All he knows is that whatever the questions are, he's the answer to all the questions. He's the glimmer of hope for this man. He is the light that leads him out of the darkness. Even in his demon-possessed state, that man ran and submitted to the Lord. And right there, the demons knew their time was up. They call him son of the Most High God. They knew his true identity. Mark one twenty-four. let us alone. What have we to do with you? Yeshua, Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, why did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Mark 1, He healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. He did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Mark 3, 11, And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. Now, this to me is proof that these demons are disembodied spirits out of the Nephilim before the flood and then kicked out of those bodies by the flood. They know who it was that put their fathers in the pit. They know who it was, the Son of Man sitting on the throne, who spoke judgment over them. They know that this is who they're standing in front of. And the Lord doesn't even get into it with them. He doesn't even discuss it with them. He just simply says, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And then he does something I don't think anybody who's not steeped in deliverance would understand. He says, What is your name? He's not conversing. He's not having a conversation. He's not doing any of the things that many of the people accuse us of that do this. He wants to know his name. Who are you? And the strong man replies, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. You notice he speaks to the strong man, and the strong man speaks for everybody else. And the minute he says his name, the next thing he says, he begs him urgently not to be sent away out of that region. What's the correlation between giving up his name and realizing I'm about to be kicked out? Because when that demon gave up his name, he gave up his authority. I don't do it much anymore because I usually by the time I get to that place, the Holy Spirit has told me who they are. Every now and then I get led of the Lord to do this. What is your name? Who are you? What is your assignment? And the minute they give it to me, I'll tell them, you're done. You just gave me your authority. And they, they're done. They know it. They don't argue. In Luke chapter 8, we see a, a different version of this encounter because they make it clear where they don't want to be sent. It's Luke chapter 8, verses 28 through 31. And when he saw Yeshua, he cried out, fell down before him, and with a loud voice, What have I to do with you, Yeshua, son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. Because by that point, according to this, he had already commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it often seized him. And he was kept under guard. They bound him with chains and shackles, and he still broke three. And the and the demon drove him into the wilderness. And Shua said, What is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. And they begged him. Here we go, Luke 831. And they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. The abyss, the abuso in Greek, bottomless, unbounded, bottomless pit, the underworld prison of the evil spirits and the fallen angel. This is the only time in Scripture that we see this reference to Jesus putting them in the pit. The same we see it mentioned in Revelation nine one and two, Revelation nine eleven, Revelation 11, 7, 17, 8, 20, verses one and three. This is where the fallen watchers of Genesis 6, Mount Hermon, who had sex with the daughters of Adam and created the race of giants, the Nephilim, the human hybrid, demonic breed, off-breeds, whatever you want to call them. This is where they were put. This is where the beast, Abaddon, the destroyer, will come from. This is where all the demons will come out of when the prison doors are thrown open. Second Peter 2, verse 4 says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to. The, this version says hell, but that, that's an error. That is just one of the many misquoted references to hell. It should say the pit. Cast them down to the pit and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Remember, I re- mentioned Revelation 9 1 and 2. In verse 11, the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen. From heaven to earth, and to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace, till the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Verse 11, And they had as a king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in the Greek his name is Apollyon. Revelation eleven seven. The beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, the saints, and overcome them and kill them. That's why, folks, the people that are telling you that there is no rapture, you don't want to be here. That makes no sense to me that the Lord would make us suffer the same as those who did not accept him. The the time of Jacob's wrath, that's not for us. That's not for us. Revelation 20, verses 1 and 3, And then I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him. This is, this is Satan. So that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. These demons in Luke 8 and Mark 5 recognized... Yeshua as the one who sent their fathers and their brothers and sisters who were immediately put into the pit before the flood. They recognize him. They know that he's capable of banishing them even though he never says so. And they immediately begin the negotiation to not be sent out of the area. Let me cover another thing. There are people that believe that they can send every demon they confront into the pit. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that. There's actually no example of that in Scripture. They'll refer to this and always point it out to them. The demons were afraid of him doing it, but he never mentions it and he never does it. He did it at the beginning of time, but there is only one person who can put a demon into the pit, and that's the Lord. So there have been times in the midst of what we do with SOT, we've confronted very high-ranking entities, that refuse to submit, refuse to do what they're told. And what I've said and what Larry says is if you continue, we will petition our Father, we will petition the Lord to put you into the pit with your fathers and your brothers and sisters. Almost unequivocally, every time they leave. Because they know the only ones who can put them into the pit is him. So why don't they want to leave? Is it the view? The accommodations can't be real good. We're talking about tombs. Is it the limestone? Very possibly. Is it their principality? More than likely. The fact is the area that they're in is ruled and run by Gentiles. So there's really nobody messing up their business. They have a good business been going on for a long time, and the Lord lets them stay. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't cast them out. He doesn't destroy the principality. He doesn't destroy everything. That's not what he's dealing with. He's dealing with the soul of a man. What is your name, he says. What are you called? What is your character or your authority? Because that's what a name implies. It implies authority, especially in those days. Your name was your authority. And usually your first name was attached to the name of your father. What is your authority? What is your character? What is your rank, soldier? What's your power? Your excellence? What is it? And all these things that a name covers. And what does this demon say? What does this strong man say? Our name is legion because we're many. Wow, What is a legion? According to the Romans, in army or infantry, it's a really large number. It's generally 6,000 soldiers. That's usually what a legion is. And these soldiers are not just all the same soldiers. They're all different ranks, they're skilled, they're spearmen, they're commandos, they're skirmish specialists, they're the cavalry, they're the reserves, they're everything. How many demons are actually there? Well, how do we know how many? Well, let's see. Verses 11 through 13, there was a large herd of swine feeding near the mountains. The demons begged him, saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Yeshua gave them permission. And the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So a legion is 6,000. The strong man says, hey, we're 6,000. Either they can't count, it was symbolic, or they're liars. And the one thing you'll learn in dealing with the demonic. Is that they are liars. And you better be able to hear the Holy Spirit when they tell you something is the truth, and the Holy Spirit says, No, they just lied to you. This is the truth. It doesn't say what the answer is, so we can put any speculation that it was just a generic, you know, we're a lot, so we're going to call ourselves Legion. It's a garage band. We started it a while ago. Um, I think it's that they're liars. But you know it's really substantial? 2,000 swine at the average price of $100 each, that's $200,000, maybe closer to a quarter of a million dollars in today's economy. This is a sizable loss to the owners. So regardless of the real number, I think we can agree with the fact that this man was seriously possessed. Possessed. It was really crowded in there. What got him to that point? We don't know. They never tell us that and the Lord never asks. Now, there are some people that really are, they don't understand why the Lord would allow that. 2,000 pigs to die. And I've heard various teachings that They were in a specific area where the Bacchanalia rites of the killing of pigs were part of the ceremonies, and that was an offering because they'd been... I don't know. None of that's in Scripture. What I do know is the pigs are unclean animals. They're not to be eaten. They're not to be touched when dead, which is a confirmation that they're in a Gentile area and that the demons chose the pigs, and the Lord went along with their request. Maybe the Lord had no obligation to those people in that area. We're about to see how those people in that area feel about him. None of that mattered to the Lord. You know what mattered to the Lord? His compassion for this one man and this man's need for him at that moment was all that mattered first john three eight he who sins is of the devil, and for the devil has sinned from the beginning for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. So we've got multiple players in this drama. We've met the Gadarene man. We've met the chief demon, the strong man, doing the talking. We have an indication of the demons that are with him. And now we get the final players in this drama, the Gadarenes, picking up on verse 14. So those who fed the swine fled. They told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see it they went out to see what had happened. And they came to Yeshua and they saw the one who had demon possessed, the same man they'd heard screaming in the night, the same one that had been shackled and broken free, they all knew who he was, and he was sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had demon-possessed and about the swine. So what we have is the workers that are tending the swine. We obviously have the owners of the swine and probably family members and neighbors who've heard about this. And they say thank you, and they begin to cheer, and they begin to praise God. No, that's not what they do. Verse 17, and they began to plead with him to depart from their region. They witnessed the miracle of the healing of the demon possessed man who was now clothed in his right mind, and their response is fear and asking Yeshua to go away. I mean, they were pleading with him, they were begging him to leave. And if you notice, he never engages them, never tries to convince them that he should stay. He leaves. The Lord doesn't stay where he's not wanted. He doesn't hang around. He doesn't cajole anybody. He doesn't convince them. He doesn't plead his case. It's always been remarkable to me when reading that story that instead of rejoicing over the miracle of seeing this man restored to his right mind, they were insistent that the one who did this get out of their area. Guess what, folks? I still see that today. They were afraid. Yeah, I get it. They were afraid. They were probably also a little ticked off and selfish that they just lost a lot of money. I'm I'm still astounded that they didn't care that this man was now in his right mind. All they cared for was that Jesus was bad for business. Wait, didn't the Pharisees think Jesus was bad for business? Didn't the Sadducees think Jesus was bad for business? Didn't many of the preachers and the religious people of today think that Jesus, the real relationship with the living God, the infilling of the Holy Spirit and everything that goes with the real relationship with the living God, don't they still think that Jesus is bad for business? yeah they do. Nothing has changed. We still have this problem. Jesus was not well received. yeah he cost them a lot of money i mean if he if they had said stay with us like like the the woman at the well and the Sumerians who said begged him to stay there and he did. He could have healed and saved a lot of people in that region, but he was turned away, and he left. But he left something behind, picking it up. Mark five eighteen, and when Yeshua got into the boat, he who had been demon possessed begged him that he might be with him, meaning go with him. However, Yeshua did not permit him, but said to him, "Go home to your friends." And tell them what great things the Lord has done for you, and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed, and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Yeshua had done for him, and all marveled. Unlike his neighbors, the man who experienced God's grace, wanted to go with him, wanted to be with him. This is an immediate reaction. Everybody gets saved. Really, what I call radically saved. They immediately think, I need to go into business. I need to serve the Lord. I need to do this. Instead of thinking, Lord, what, what would you have me do? What he might say is, bloom where you're planted. Stay where you are. And just tell him about my compassion and what I've done for you. His mission for this man is go tell the others. Tell them. Tell them about my love. Tell them about my mercy. Tell them what great things the Lord has done. You notice Mark identifies Jesus as Lord here. And we know Mark, John Mark, is writing Peter's account. Tell him everything. And so what does he do? He goes back to this Gentile area, Decapolis, ten cities east of the Jordan and south of the Sea of Galilee, predominantly Gentile, Greek-speaking area with a strategic link to Rome's military defense, which means a lot of people come in and out of there. Who knows how many people heard the word? Who knows how many people heard the truth about Jesus of Nazareth? I don't know. We never hear of this man again. And the Lord knew While he was not welcome there, while his disciples were not welcome there, this man was. And he would become a witness for the Lord. You're saying, I want to go, I want to do this, I want to be a part of SRT, I want to go where you... No, be where you are, do what you're doing, tell people. Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he's had compassion upon you. What a message that man had. What a message you have. See, that's our role. That's the Great Commission. Go and tell. Proclaim to the world what Yeshua has done. That God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, Ephesians 2.4. Maybe you don't even know how to say. Maybe you just need to go to Scripture. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord, Yeshua the Messiah, I don't know, Yeshua Messiah, unto eternal life, looking for him. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who was able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless, before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever. Amen. That's from Jude, Yeshua's half-brother. But you know what triggered this message? We're flipping channels and uh, the documentary, the docudrama, whatever you want to call the movie, about uh, the rock group Queen called Bohemian Rhapsody and Freddie Mercury. And, of course, you can immediately make a face about all the things he did in his life and how he died. And it, be, it it was the end scene where they sing at Live Aid. And what's going through my mind is the natural talent this man had to sing and the torment of his life and everything he endured and everything he went through, and I began to sob. I began to sob because of how he suffered and how he died and everything he had gone through. And it didn't have to be that way, that the enemy had had his way, that the enemy had punched his ticket. Now, I don't know if anything happened on his deathbed. I really don't. But what I do know is that when I see somebody the enemy has taken, I don't sit there in judgment of them. I don't think of how they got there. I don't think of all the awful things they did. I don't say some of the things that people people say about them. I weep with the compassion and love of the Lord that he came to destroy the works of the devil and that he delegated all authority in heaven and earth to us and we've not done the job. And so I cried out. Larry and I, it was funny, he had the same thought, I think that same day at the same time, about Freddie Mercury and how blessed he was with a voice that could have glorified God and didn't. And I think that was the Holy Spirit tying together the mission, tying together the calling, saying, come on, I've given you this power. Go do something with it. Go take people out of darkness. Have compassion upon them. Look on them with my eyes. Stop looking at them with your eyes. Stop projecting your fears upon them, your biases upon them, your judgment upon them. See them with the love of God. See them the way I saw the gathering man, says the Lord. And know that I've given you the ability to do something about it. So, Father, I come to you now as your son. We come together as your sons and your daughters. And we're asking for you to make a way where well, there is no way. We're asking you for the provisions. We're asking you with for the, for the open doors of favor. Whatever it's going to take to get us out there. Like the gathering man, to, to tell them what the Lord has done for us. To show them your love. To show them that even though they're unlovable... He loves them and that he sent Yeshua to die for them and that there is a way out. They don't have to be the way they are. Lord, fill us right now with compassion. Show us the areas of our life where we've been cold-hearted and judgmental towards people that you desire to save. Send us to destroy the work of the enemy. Send us to proclaim liberty to the captives, sight to the blind. Hearing to the deaf the lame should walk and leap and dance. Send us, Lord, to lead people out of darkness. Help us, Lord. Help us. Help us. Help us to see them the way you see them. We we, we can't do this without you, Holy Spirit. Right now, to everybody that's listening, every single one, whether they're listening live or they listen to this archived I pray right now through the power of the Holy Spirit that you fill them, invade them, heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit, and open their eyes. Open their hearts. Show them upon whom to have compassion and upon whom those through fear to pull them out of the fire Some people need love. Some people need conviction. Some people need to be confronted. But don't ever let us become complacent and see them and judge them and think like the Pharisees did. Well, I'm glad I'm not a sinner like them. Don't ever let us be Pharisees, Lord. Let us always be like you. Let us always love like you loved. Let us always be like you where people run towards us and not away from us. The time is coming, Lord, where there is a darkness on the earth and a deep darkness upon the people. Give us the ability to go into that darkness and lead people out of the darkness, into the light, into the son of his love. Translating them from the kingdom of darkness into that kingdom. I thank you for this. I thank you for your love. I thank you for what you did for the Gadarene man. I'd love... To hear his story someday, Lord. To hear where he went afterwards and what happened to him. But most of all, I would just like to hug him. Because I know that feeling. And I pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Give you shalom. I'm Richard Grund. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio.
0: Say yes and let Spreaker handle the rest. Learn more and get 30% off at Spreaker.com getstarted get started. That's spreake dot com get started.